Addiction is a lonely and isolated place to be. It can destroy relationships and can completely change people's lives for the very worst. On today's episode of Humans of Chelmsford, you're about to hear from three friends who have lived through it. 31-year-old Ben, 50-year-old Barry and 54-year-old Peter have all battled with addiction problems. For Ben, it was drug abuse and he eventually wound up homeless. For Barry, alcohol addiction took over his life after his divorce, while 54-year-old Peter has long battled with drink and drugs. But in the last four months, the trio have all met each other and become firm friends. From the turn of the year, they all now are in recovery and are also living together, supporting one another when the going gets tough. At the end of March, they also embarked on a 26-mile sponsored walk to raise money for Sanctus Cafe, the cafe that provides homeless people and those in need with free hot meals and advice here in Chelmsford. That cafe is also the location where I sat down with all three of them to hear their stories in an incredibly powerful listen. Brought to you by Essex Live, this is Humans of Chelmsford, and this is Ben, Barry and Peter's stories. The first voice you're going to hear is Ben's. His personal struggles revolved around drug addiction. Originally from Chelmsford, he had long battled with mental health problems and had several diagnoses. But despite having a well-paid job and of course his family, his reliance on substances soon reached a tipping point and he ended up without a home at the start of this year. Um, To be honest, um, I was made homeless in January. Um, through nobody else's fault, it's my own, you know. Um, addiction is rife in my life. I've using drugs for many years, um, but about three years ago, it came to a point where I was reliant upon drugs. It wasn't social anymore. And then after <clears throat> three years of using them, I ended up being homeless. <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't spend any time on the street. I went straight into the Winter Project run by Chess. And then from there, I got put into a move-on house, which I currently am in with the two boys. Um, so addiction, it just can happen to anybody, you know. Um, and homelessness can also happen to anybody, and that's why we're doing the walk. Just Did you expect it to happen to you? No, I was in a very well-paid job. I was driving nice cars. The last thing on my mind was that I was going to be homeless because I didn't believe I had an addiction. I thought... That was my choice to use these substances, but it wasn't. Is that maybe the most striking thing, is that you don't maybe realise or accept that you have an addiction in the first place? The first part to realising you're an addict is admitting that you're an addict, and that on its own is hard. Um, But yeah, I didn't accept it. Many people told me I was, and I tried giving up on... I tried giving up for other people, from from my family, for my partner, for siblings. But ultimately, the only time you give up is when you're ready to give up and you've got to do it for yourself. Drugs can have a huge effect on your personality and your health. Ben knows that better than most, and with plenty of money at his disposal, drugs were too enticing a prospect 
as he continued to struggle with his mindset. I had a lot of money. I was signed off work and I was getting paid full-time money and I wasn't working. I was at home on my own all day. So it's just maybe looking for something to focus your mind on. Yeah, yeah. And I, I suffer with mental health as well. And I've, I tend to think about things a lot and ruminate over things. And to stop that, I used to use substances and alcohol to alleviate that problem. And obviously that's not the way forward. You need to try and get a healthier way of dealing with that. Becoming homeless, was that, I suppose, in essence, rock bottom? And maybe the moment you realised you had to sort something out? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the, that, def- that defined the change in me. It was a case of this is where you are. You can't, I had no money, nowhere to live. I had a rucksack of bits and pieces and that was all I had. I'm going from having everything I did to losing everything and going to that. It was like, well, there's a problem. And that's when I realised there was a problem. Now to Barry, who was originally from Malden. Unlike Ben, Barry's issue centred around alcohol, which took full effect after he got divorced. The impact of that divorce and the subsequent depression that followed led him down a road he didn't want to be a part of. So he started drinking to deal with it. I always really started when I got divorced. I used that as an excuse to start drinking and uh, going from there and then it just progressively got worse. You know, well-paid job, but come Monday morning I'll be skinned because I'll spend it all on booze all over the weekend. Mm-hmm. It just... No, it just grabs hold of you and you just want to drink to forget everything, but the only trouble is it's still there the next morning. Was it... I mean, were you, were you, was it depression that sort of led to... Yeah, to it was, yeah. It basically is. You get depressed about, you know, uh, anyone who's gone through a divorce and all that sort of thing, you know, anyone's going to get depressed, but I just turned to drink. In a similar way to Ben, Barry was essentially looking for a release and something that would numb the feelings inside his head. Naturally... It did far more harm than good. He ran out of chances and admitting the gravity of the problem to himself was a major, major challenge. Well, it just blanks it out and you just, you just keep drinking and drinking and to either fall asleep or you run out of money. <laughs> exactly. Basically. Same as, same as Ben then, did it take you a while to realise that there was I a t- problem there? Yeah, well, I, I tried giving up uh, about... 28 months ago I went to AA meetings and stuff like that and I lasted for 27 months um, I stopped going to AA I thought I could do it on my own um, and then my mum passed away and I used that as a, an excuse to start drinking again it's just another trigger then yeah, the same yeah thing. just basically yeah so this time around um, what was the sudden realisation to, to sort yourself out the uh, second time I'd had enough to be honest um People have been trying to help me and I kept letting them down, you know, work-wise and, you know, I had a very good boss at the time who understand my problem and but it just got so much that I kept letting him down, letting the company he's working for down and um, so I moved over to Chelmsford, the Winter Project, same as Ben, and that's where we met, started going to meetings again and um, I wanted it for me this time, not for, I tried to do it for everyone else last time. And I just had enough, you know. You do get to a point where you just had enough and you think, Christ, you know, stop it. When you're in those meetings, is that quite a daunting thing to do when you have to face up to the difficulties it that is, you've been having? It is, especially, I mean, any of the boys will tell you the first one 
you walk in there and you're like, well, you're scared. You know, you, you don't know what to expect, what to say. You know, everyone's been shunning you because you're an addict or an alcoholic or something like that. But no, they're great. You know, we're walking there and, you know, you're meeting people that understand exactly what you're going through. Whereas no one else seems to understand. They just say, oh, look at him, he's a cokehead, he's a, he's a alcoholic, you know, he's anything. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, really, it really pulls you in. For the third and final member of the trio, Peter, heavy drinking was carried over from his youth. Drugs also soon came into his lifestyle when he came over from Ireland to London and they completely consumed his life. Even settling down with a wife and his son, that couldn't stop him. Well, I come from a big family in Ireland, you know, there's 12 of us and you know, very hard, you know, we came from a very poor, very poor you know. And I uh, came here when I was about 19 that way and I was always a heavy drinker, even back at home. I started drinking really young, you know, and there was a lot of fear on me, do you know what I mean? Because my father was an alcoholic, he was a very violent alcoholic, you know, and there was a lot of fear, and it's right for my family. Addiction is right for my family, you know, and I picked up from that light, you know, and then I came here and I seemed to have found drink, you know. Everywhere I went, there was drink, do you know what I mean? And I was working and I was drinking and working and drinking and... Then I met my wife and he settled down with his son. I had a son, Kieran, and that, that couldn't stop me drinking, you know. I just carried on drinking and drinking, and then, then the drugs came on the scene. You know, I was smoking crack, you know, I started to get involved in crack cocaine, and that destroyed me, you know. And even like my son being born and with a beautiful woman and a beautiful boy, like, you know, that couldn't keep me off the drugs, you know. And the trouble and the carnage, devastation and everything it got me into was unreal, like, you know, and she gave me so many chances, you know, and I tried everywhere to give it up, you know, and I couldn't, you know, I was be give it up for a few months and go back on it again, you know, and yeah, I was just getting locked up every second weekend and all that, getting into trouble with my family. I couldn't go to no weddings or I couldn't go to anything because I'd start trouble, you know, because I got violent, you know, it made me violent, you know. So I decided... My family, a couple of years ago, they got me into PCP in Chelmsford, about three years ago. I'd done three months in rehab there. And I was only nine storm when I came here, you know. And uh, I was in PCP at three months, and that got me clean and sober. Then I stayed on a move-on house for a year in Chelmsford. And uh, I was fine, you know, and I went back to London. I went back to walk back to my wife and son. And I was a year and a half clean and sober, and I relapsed after a year and a half and I was three months out there and I lost everything again. Do you know when you're a year and a half clean and sober you build up all the trust of your family and you know I was seeing nieces and nephews that I never met before you know because I was clean you know and it, it was uh, life was good that time but I became complacent I thought I was cured but I wasn't you know and I ended up here back in Chelmsford again you know and on the streets and I nearly died. It was horrible, it was horrible, it was horrible to be lying there, you know what I mean, and waking up every morning, looking up at the sky and saying to yourself, why did I relapse? Do you know, I picked up a drink and I just one drink set me off again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was lucky to, that I knew people from here, I was here before, you know, and I met people. So that year and a half, like, was a building block, really, for me. 
you know, and the meetings. I knew people at the meetings that have saved my life, you know, and coming into this fantastic place like Santa's, you know, they have been over backwards for me and chess as well, you know, and I feel blessed to be alive. Now, today I want to live, you know. For four months, I'm four months now, like, and four months ago I was nearly dead. Exactly. You know, and it's, it's great stuff, you know, it's great the meetings, to meet Ben and Barry, like, you know, we're like three brothers, they're like three last friend, friends I never had, you know. And uh, I just feel, I just feel good today, you know, it's amazing what you can do when you stay clean and sober. Admitting you have a problem with addiction is only part of the problem. Trying to snap yourself out of it is impossible. So it essentially becomes a long and gruelling process of trying to distance yourself from the substances and fixing your mind. Life is good now. I'm in a good town. This is a great Chelmsford is a great recovery town. It is, and I needed to come back here. Because I knew when I, when everything was gone. I went to the doctor, and the doctor asked me, she said, why did you stop? I said, I stopped because I ran out of money. I would have kept using and drinking. If I had more money, I would have probably died. But I knew I had, I, I had this place to come back to, do you know? And it was good to be able to come back here. And as Ben was saying there about the rucksack, like it was going on with a rucksack on my back, and I was hardly able to carry it. Do you know, wake up every morning and <coughs> go on to the winter shelter. It's 10 o'clock at night, and getting out in the morning at 8 o'clock and walking around the town with a rucksack and it was bigger than myself nearly like, you know, and heavier and it was the weight of, your sh- weight, the, weight of the world on your, on your back. Do you know, that's what it was and it was, it was horrible, do you know, it was horrible. Do you know, I could cry now talking about it like, do you know, and I don't want to go back to that again. Do you know, and my son, I seen my son there last weekend and my wife and, you know, he loves me and she and my wife loves me, do you know, and you could see it in his eyes when he see me and I walked when I walked in, you know, into the house last weekend and he's a big lad and he looked at me and he could see the bright his eyes lit up to see it. You know, that how well I looked, you know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, essentially you've got your life back now. I have my life back, but it's, it's all right having your life back, it's keeping a hold of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, this is an addiction, this is this is a pro a twelve step program. You have to grab a hold of it and you have to keep keep a hold of it. Yeah. And not let it go. <coughs> Because if you let it go, you'll die. Because um, not many people come back from it from relapsing. People commit suicide, people die from it. I'm the lucky one. What has ultimately saved all three men is the addiction meetings they are all now participating in fully. Despite early fears about anxiety and obviously opening up in a group, the trio are now significantly better for it. As Barry says, you have to put the work in. When I went back to my first meeting, it was something that happened to... Um, I, the reason I went there was because obviously I want to reconnect with my family, especially my daughter. And the person that was actually given the, the chair, um, his daughter was there. And he'd done the same thing as I'd done. And his daughter was there supporting him. So that gave me a little bit of a boost to the fact that I could, perhaps one day, maybe, that'll happen to me. But as Peter says, you've got to put the work in. 
I mean, when you do go to these meetings, you will be scared, you know, you will be frightened, but don't be. Go to a meeting, because as soon as you walk in, someone's going to put their arm around you and say, well done, at least you made the effort, you know. You walked into the room, now it all starts. And that's what it's all about, just putting the work in, making the effort. You know, you can do seven meetings, eight meetings in a week, you can do one, two. It all depends on how you want to do it. But the best thing about it is, or the one thing that you shouldn't do, is try and force someone into it like I, I was forced into it the first time, because it doesn't work. You've got to want to be able to do it. And you've got to be the willing participant yeah. in your part. And, you know, that's the first part of it. You've got to want to do it and then get stuck into it. Those meetings also happened to be the place where Peter met both Barry and Ben. A friendship was forged between the three almost instantly. Uh, I, I remember the boys there. I met the boys at the meeting, you know, and Ben was there and he was with Barry and they were stand, I think he was standing at the back, Ben, wasn't you? Yeah, I was, I was scared. <laughs> I come in and I sat by the door. I was full of fear. I yeah. didn't want to be there. I was better than everyone in them rooms in my eyes. Yeah, I was here. And then I, hit, then I, I heard this, the man standing there and he was sharing. I'm like, that's me. That's a mirror image of me. It's the same story. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, right. he was there. Ben was there, Barry, and I waited till after the meeting because it's nice to be able to talk to people because I'm kind of used to the meetings, you know. And I was getting better, you know. And I was in the winter shelter, and I knew the boys were new in there, you know. And I said, I'm going to help these lads, you know. And I knew to look at them; they were straight lads, you know, good lads, you know. And I waited after the meeting, and I met I met the two of them, you know. And I explained to them, I said, if you keep on, keep keep on zero, you know, because they Breathalyze you, you know, and you go in there, and I did what I have to do, and then we just became good friends after that, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I mean, I mean, all three of you are now living together as well. Yeah. Um, how, how did that come about, and how's it been? Because it's only, what, been three, four weeks yeah. that you've been living together now? Yeah, well, Ben was in a, another place around the corner from us, quite near. Um, I say, I moved in the day after I met Peter, next door to him, and then... Um, the people that were housing us decided that Ben was far along and, and up in his recovery to move around to be with us because it would, it would have helped his recovery. And it's just like a madhouse at our house in the morning. God, dear. <laughs> you got the old Irish fella saying, all white. <coughs> I'll pass six in the morning. You've just walked out rubbing your eyes. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it just makes everything, you know, great in the mornings, you know. It's just banter flying around everywhere and uh, yeah we just I don't know it's, it's something different about all of us that just made us all click together you know exactly I mean it strikes me that when when you were at your lowest it's quite an isolated place to be whereas now you have each other yeah so you can all help each other out when you're having a dark day or a dark week um, is, is that kind of how it how it's oh yeah out? I mean it was only a couple of weeks ago I had a really bad day, I woke up on a Monday morning and I just didn't want to do nothing. You know, just this, these two cracking jokes all day long, trying to pick me up and... You know, I was still having a bad day, but they made it... Is it, it becomes a bearable bad yeah, day. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I got through the day and then Tuesday morning I got up and they thought I was a different person. I was running around like a... anything. <laughs> I once were. Um, you know, I'm, I'm cracking jokes then, you know, and it's, it's if it were at them too, I'd have probably gone back to maybe even drinking, I don't know. I was, it was a really bad day, but, you know, you just get them, them dark days and that's what they're there for, you know, they do pick you up. One of the common threads between Ben, Barry and Peter 
is the impact their addiction has had on their families. In one way or another, whether it is wives, parents, children or siblings, all of them want to see that trio healthy. But for understandable reasons, they've had to put space between them for their own good. Um, the thing is, we can't force our families to come back. We've, and all three of us, and I, and I know the boys don't mind me speaking for them, we all done wrong to our families. Begged, borrowed, stole, you know, terrible things. Things that you wouldn't accept off anybody else. So it's understandable why they put distance there. Um, we've all tried giving up for our families and that wasn't enough. Um, but I've noticed that they come back to us. It's not so much us searching for them. Once they realise that you, you're in recovery, that you're doing it for yourself and that you're doing something for yourself, they come back to us. I mean, um, I, didn't, I was speaking to my mum, but not very often. And since I've been in recovery, I speak to her every day. You know, my brother, my little sisters, I speak to them all every single day. And that's because I'm in recovery. And the reason I'm in recovery is for these boys and for the meetings. If it wasn't for the meetings, I wouldn't be here. Essex Live recently launched its own mental health campaign, dubbed the Speak Up for Essex Boys campaign. Mental health has become a huge national talking point, but stigma still remains, and particularly with men. Speaking openly and honestly about their mental state still presents a huge challenge to them. We are all familiar with the phrase, man up, after all. Ben, Barry and Peter have all had struggles with their mental health, and that has often been the trigger that led them to addiction in the first place. But through the meetings, through the struggles, and through the pain, they've come to realise just how vital it is to talk to someone about it. The way I was brought up, um, you didn't, man didn't really express his feelings. You know, you got a little man up, up tagline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I didn't first time I was at um, AA or CA or whatever it was your choice. I I'd just sit there and listen. I wouldn't share or anything like that. You know about my problems and that. Where's well, this time I have? You know, if I have a problem, or if I'm sitting there like I was the other day, and I looked, I just looked at the time, and it was quarter past five. Well, I'm normally in a pub at quarter past five because I finish work. And I'd normally stew on that, but no, I, as soon as I, that happened, I told Ben, and that feeling just went, because I expressed my feeling about, oh, yeah, I really did fancy a drink. But because I spoke about it, it went then, you know. Next thing I know, I'm drinking a cup of coffee, and I'm fine. So it is, it was about, a lot of it is about bottling up. You know, if you do bottle these things up, don't, you know, talk to someone about it. Best mate, you ain't got to pay for it, you know, go and talk to your best mate. Exactly. I mean, when you, Peter, were talking about having the, the backpack on your back and essentially like the weight of the world yeah. on your shoulders, yes, right, as, a, yeah. as again, just even yeah. mentioning it in passing to a mate if you're having a bad time, yeah, but that's what lifts the, it off. That's what the meetings are for, you know, and like uh, mental illness is right for my family. It's passed through my family. My father was suffering from it as well, you know, and my sisters are 
got a couple of my brothers suffering from paranoid schizophrenia, do you know, and my sisters suffer from anxiety and all that stuff, do you know, and I'm suffering from, I've suffered from that myself, from depression and many depressive in my family as well, do you know, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a fear-based illness, I call it, you know, this, and it's an energy. When I take one drink, it kicks off a chemical in my body that I, I can't stop. I can't stop till, till I get into a, a, a bad state, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? And, and Ben, I mean, if anyone else, for example, is maybe having the mental health battles that you're, you've all experienced at some point in your life, just how important is it for them to maybe try and get over that fear of speaking out? Uh, I, it's so, so important. I mean... When I got into really active addiction, I before that I've been diagnosed with a couple of different illnesses, <coughs> mental health illnesses, and I used to talk a little because I was always getting asked what was wrong, so I'd give up a little bit and just so just to satisfy people. But when you get down to the root of things, and you you need to really open up, and like like I say, you go to these meetings, it's all anonymous, so you know nothing's going to go further so that's a great place to start I mean talk to your loved ones talk to someone else who understands and um, like Facebook there's a wonderful pages on Facebook for mental health different ones and you can talk to people and there that's how I started out communicating I joined a group on Facebook related to my illness and then I wrote a, wrote a post on there of how I was feeling and just words of comfort, knowing other people are going through the same thing and you know you're not alone. And that's the thing, knowing you're not alone is key. The cafe where we sat down to record this podcast is particularly special in Chelmsford. Sanctus provides a soup kitchen and a development space for the homeless community and those in need, complete with free hot meals and a space where you can also meet others. It's a place that has helped this trio no end and it continues to help people throughout the city on a daily basis. How important has this place been to the three uh, of you in helping you out? It's crazy. I mean, um, obviously when I, was hu- when I was homeless, I was working, and then you need to get your benefits sorted out, okay? Um, although us, you know, for us to work at the moment, it's dangerous, very dangerous. We need to keep low, low in the chain um, so we can support each other and be there because... You know, going back to work can lead to dangerous things. It's what Peter done. That's why Peter relapsed. You know, he went back to work, got money in his pocket, and then game over. Yeah. Um, so, first off, we come to Sanctus, and um, they're amazing. The, the 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 companies that donate to Sanctus are amazing. You get a cooked meal every day. There's sandwiches to take away. There's rolls. There's tins of food to take home in case you don't have any cereals. And not just that, the girls in here are fantastic. They help you do your CVs, applications for housing, applications for anything. And if they can't do it, they'll source it for you. They'll do everything. And like the other day, Peter needed something the other day. And he comes, he comes, come in the other day and he said, he said, I can't do this, I'm struggling. Can you help me? And what happened, Peter? She had me, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's a great town, you know. You want me, you want me to, it's a good town to find, you know. And I always knew it was a great town because was here before and they looked after me very well, you know, and it's a great town, you know, and you wouldn't find this around where I come from in London, you know what I mean? It's just saved my life, you know, and this is, as you're talking about alcoholism and addiction and all that, you know, this is going to be with us for the rest of our life, you know what I mean? And we have to accept that, you know. 
and I have to accept that I'm going to be like I can never I can never again drink you know or pick up a drug because if I pick up a drink I'm back on that's me off again you know and I cannot do it you know just keep keep doing what I'm doing you know say no do the meetings be positive try and keep the negati negativity out of my head you know and we'll be okay and we look after each other. Following the trio's experiences and their steps to recovery, they all instantly wanted to give back to the cafe they love. Back on Sunday, March 24th this year, they took part in a sponsored 26-mile walk, which ended up raising over £1,600. Their initial target was £1,500. Here's how the idea came about as this interview took place just two days before the walk itself. Well, the, the idea came from Peter. Um, he, uh, he wanted to give something back uh, for all the help that Sanctus have given us. I mean, they have given us a lot, really a lot, you know, food, comfort, people to talk to, you know, have a laugh, joke. And then uh, he asked us, you know, we were sitting here one morning, I think it was a Saturday morning, wasn't it? We were just having a fry up on a Saturday, and he said, uh, fancy helping us out on a sponsored walk. Well, of course, we said, yeah, and uh, went through all the things that were going on and what we were going to do, and then he just said, well, it's 26 miles, and I'm like, cheers, mate, thanks for that. We're going to back out now, we said we're going to do it, but um, no, we'll do it, we'll get, we'll get for it. Because, so, you know, if one's struggling, the other two will be dragging him along. So, uh, yeah, it's, that's how it really came about. He wanted to give something back, and so did we once we went through it all, and... Uh, yeah, just get out there and sponsor us. That's what we're asking. At the end of the day, it's important for me to do it. I don't care how long it takes. I will get this finished. You know, I'm very determined to do that. Um, as they've done so much for us, it's the least I can do. Yeah, I suppose that's the mindset across yeah. the entire group, really. Yeah, yeah but it's just determination. You know, you have to believe in yourself. It's like giving up the drink and the drugs. If you believe in yourself, you'll do it, you know. It's 26 miles at the end of the day. Like, you know, we've got all day to do it, you know. You know, we'll feed off of each other. Exactly. That's, you know, we'll feed off of each other. And it's on your know, mindset, you know, say, I'm going to do it. I'm determined to do it. Because see what they have, Santas have done for me and for other people. It's for a good cause, you know what I mean? And yeah, we'll get there. We're great friends, you know what I mean? We stick together. Exactly. And we'll get there, yeah. I and mean, this is the perfect example of how friends can help yeah, each other out yeah, yeah. in yeah, tough times. Exactly, yeah. Um, for anyone else, this is my final question, for anyone else who may have hit rock bottom, how, what would your advice be yeah. in helping them get out of that? Well, <clears throat> if we're talking about addiction, there's great um, things around Chelmsford. Open road um, from 9.30 in the morning to 11 in the morning, Monday to Friday. You can go there, do a self-referral. Yeah, you can take someone with you to support you there. That's the first thing I've done. Um, AA meetings, CA meetings, NA meetings. There's loads and loads and loads around Chelmsford. Just get online. And then you can find your nearest meeting, go to one, take someone with you. Most of them are open meetings, so you can take a family or a friend with you, you know. Um, and just don't give up. Yeah, just just exactly what, what I was going to say, what Ben was saying there, like, you know, and you have to believe in yourself, you know. There's plenty of help around the place. Like me, I was, four months ago, I was hopeless. I was a hopeless case, you know. I was, I was nearly dead, you know. I could, f could feel death coming to me, you know. And I got back up, you know, and I got my got help. There's plenty of help around the place, like, do you know what I mean? Just pick up the phone, go online, spend said there, do you know? 
you have to believe in yourself, you know, and say no. It's only spelled very easy, no, do you know what I mean? But it's tough. But be strong and you'll all get there, you know, one day at a time. Exactly. God bless. Yep. And with that, I'll round up this episode. And I can categorically say one of our most powerful episodes I think we've we've ever had on this podcast. Some really, really important messages there. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will agree about how inspiring all of your stories are. And it's also great to see you all getting back on your feet and doing some great things together as well to raise money and put put, put things back into the services that helped you out. Yeah, great. Well. Thank you. I really appreciate you having us. No, thank you so Thanks much. Thanks very much. huge thank you to Sanctus and of course to Ben, Barry and Peter for sharing their own personal stories. Humans of Chelmsford is brought to you by Essex Live and you can stay up to date with news on the podcast on our social pages. We are on Facebook and our Twitter handle is at Chelmsford underscore pod. If you enjoyed this episode and enjoy the show, please leave some feedback with us at Essex Live. And if you could give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you get your audio on demand, that would be hugely appreciated as it helps other listeners to find us. Episode 2 of the second series of Humans of Chelmsford will be out this time next week at Sunday, April the 14th. Stay tuned until then.